Well, all right. Well, let's dive into the book of James together. We're going to be in James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27 today, and we're going to be talking about hearing and doing the word. James has talked to us so far in chapter 1 about trials and about temptations, and this week he's going to talk to us about how we interact with the word of God. It's the word of God that we lean on in our trials. It's the word of God that we wield like a sword in the midst of our temptations. And the key ingredient to a victorious Christian life or to a God-glorifying Christian life is how we choose to deal with the Bible, how we choose to deal with the word of God. Believers are Bible people. North Park Church is a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church. I mean, this is core. This is basic. So the word of God is, is basic to living the Christian life. It's a basic fundamental to healthy Christian living, to victorious Christian living, um, to being the people that God's called us and is shaping us to be. It's kind of like, think about the coronavirus pandemic that we've been dealing with. Now, whether you're someone who, um, who's, who's like a normal person and calls it the coronavirus or someone who thinks you're really smart and calls it COVID-19 or someone who's way too sure of yourself and calls it the Rona, um, it, no matter which, which one of those things you are, we all know what has been done to help flatten the curve of this virus. Two, the two very basic things are hygiene and social distancing, right? I mean, we all kind of know that. We've all heard, wash your hands for 20 seconds. We, we've all heard, stay six feet apart from one another. Hygiene and social distancing have been, have, been, have been key in this, and we've heard it so much. In fact, just this past week, I heard a country song about social distancing. That's how bad it's gotten folks. Uh, we, people have been um, locked up in homes so long that the country music musicians are starting to write songs about social distancing. And you know what? It was a pretty good song. I mean, it, it's, it's strange. But in a similar way, just as those things are basic to beating this virus and helping us flatten this curve, you can't live a Christian life, not one that's victorious, not one that's obedient, not one that glorifies God apart from the word of God and interacting with it the way God calls you to. You can't grow in Christ's likeness without it. You can't experience spiritual victory without it. We're a Bible people. We need the Bible, and we need to deal with the Bible in the right way. And in James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27, we have a section that's largely devoted to hearing and doing the word of God. And so my goal today is, is to get you to see how believers are supposed to hear and do the word. So look with me, starting in verse 19 of James chapter 1. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So the, the big theme of this passage is the word of God. 
And this really begins back in verse 18, the verse before this that we ended on last week, where James writes, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And that word of truth speaks to the gospel, and uh, it's the power of God, as Paul says in Romans 1.16, the power of God unto salvation. And then we see here, he goes from talking about the word of truth in verse 18, to then he begins to talk about the, the implanted word. He, call, he also refers to it here as the word. He refers to it as the perfect law and the law of liberty, all these different phrases in this section. And so the theme of this section is the Bible. It's the word of God and and how we interact with it. And so our big idea today is simple. Believers must must faithfully hear and do the word of God. Believers must faithfully hear and do the word of God. Now that sounds simple. Uh, but sometimes we struggle with that, right? And we all fail to faithfully hear and faithfully do the word as we should from time to time. But believers, this is what we're called to do. This is what uh, those of us who have placed our faith in Christ, saving faith in Christ should be expressing itself and will express itself in hearing and doing the word of God. So believing the Bible has to be more uh, than a statement of faith on a church website or some virtue that we say we're aspiring to. It needs to be fleshed out in our daily lives. Believers in Jesus will be concerned with hearing and doing the word of God. And he gives us three principles for this in this passage, three principles that I want to share with you from this passage about how to effectively hear and do the word of God, all right? So let's walk through those principles together. Number one, we need to humbly receive the word. Humbly receive the word. In verse 21, he refers to uh, the implanted word. In other words, at conversion, God implanted his word in your heart and in your life. Um, He says we've been, in verse 18, brought forth by the word of truth. And so we're brought forth by the word of truth, the gospel, and God's word is implanted in our heart at conversion. And then it remains there, and it's the key to spiritual growth as we go forward. And so a question you need to ask, that every person needs to ask, is has the word of God been planted in my heart? Um, Because everything else springs from that. Everything else in this passage, only those that have been changed by Christ, who have believed the gospel and had his word planted in their heart, will want to um, apply and understand and obey the word and the the way God calls us to. And and this idea of the word being implanted in us, it it comes as a, it's a fulfillment of a prophecy in Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31, 33 says, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. And I'll write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. I'll put my law within them. So that's what happens. That's the promise of the new covenant. We have believed the gospel, and God has put his law, he's put his word within us. He's he's stamped it within us. And as those who have received the word of God at salvation, we've received the gospel and believed it, we must continue to receive it, or as the Greek word conveys, welcome it. That's what that word receive means. It means to accept or to welcome it into your heart and life. So in verses 19 and 20, um, commentators, scholars debate how to interpret those two verses and whether they kind of, how exactly they play into this. And I think it's helpful to see it as a proverb uh, that certainly applies to, but is not limited to how we deal with the word of God. It it describes someone who is a generally uh, teachable person. It talks about being quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. If you're those things, you're a, uh, you're a more humble, teachable person. Those, it's, those things are how we need to interact with others and obviously how we need to be before God. This requires humility. Listen, we live in a social media-driven culture. Everything is, is, is driven by likes and, 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 and retweets. And You know what's not popular on Twitter and what's not popular on Facebook? Being quick to hear 
slow to speak, slow to anger. That, that's not what gets the likes and gets the retweets. In fact, you're, you're pushed to respond immediately and, and, and to respond in, in an angry way. Those are the things that, that seem to get the most attention. But that, that's not what we're being called to here. If we can't be quick to hear and if we cannot be slow to speak and if we cannot be slow to anger in everyday life and how we deal with others, we certainly cannot be when we come to the Bible. Uh, generally speaking, your attitude towards God is not going to be drastically different than how you treat his image bearers. Uh, if, if you have um, bitterness in your heart towards image bearers, or if you're someone who lashes out in anger, anger at image bearers, then don't be surprised when you find yourself lashing out in, in anger towards God or bitter towards God. You know, J.A. Motyer writes this. He says, if we do not have an attentive ear in the ordinary circumstances of life, we do not become different people when we shut the door and open the Bible. He goes on to say, the great talker is rarely a great listener. And never is the ear more firmly closed than when anger takes over. And it's true. And it's why James says here, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. His point is this, anger cannot change a heart. It can't do it. It will prevent heart change in you and in me personally. If we, and, and, and our anger cannot change the hearts of those that we're angry at. It, it just can't do it. The social media rage, the ranting at others in person, this does not work. It will not make you more godly, and it, it will not make them more godly. So, you know, getting angry at and, and lashing out at, at, at a coworker or at uh, an employee or at a boss or at a spouse or at a child or, or at a parent, none of those things produce the heart change that you may long to see. Uh, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God or the righteous life, the righteous living that God requires. Anger doesn't work. That's James's point here. And so what we see here is James is promoting a general idea of humble teachableness. Yeah, just being teachable before others and before God and discouraging anger that can arise in trials and in temptations. So notice the actions and the attitude of how we receive the word, though, here in this passage. The action is one of repentance. He says, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Uh, putting away here is the idea of taking off dirty clothes with no intention of putting dirty clothes back on again. He's saying cast it off, throw it away. And that word filthiness means moral uncleanness. And it's actually a word that, that many scholars say was connected to the word for earwax, which is interesting because he's talking about being a hearer and doer of the word of God. And so sin has a way of spiritually clogging our ears where we don't hear from God like we should when we read our Bibles. And so, and then he talks about rampant wickedness. And that's the idea of leftover sin from the old life. It, it, it's, it's excess sin. Uh, it's the old life and, and not putting that off but continuing to pull things back into your life. You're not supposed to do that. Uh, you have died to sin your life to God in Christ Jesus. And So if you're going to receive and if you're going to welcome God's word into your heart and life, you're going to have to root out sin in your life is what we're seeing here. Uh, the weeds of sin will choke out the word of God. In fact, James here is really leaning on the teachings of his brother Jesus uh, when Jesus taught uh, about the parable of the soils. Jesus taught uh, in very, uh, very specific ways about this. And so this is kind of what James is echoing here. And so you cannot let sin grow in your heart and life and expect, expect a fruitful experience with God's word. And if you're welcoming sin into your life, you're not welcoming the word into your life. You see what I'm saying? They're not, they're not friends. The, the word of God and sin, they don't get along. And so sin wants to push the word out of your life, wants to rebel against the word. That's what sin is. And the word of God wants to root sin out of your life and expose it. And, and so they, they, don't, they don't coincide together. You know, back in, um, 
December, uh, for my son's seventh birthday, uh, we bought him a betta fish. He had wanted a fish, so we went and bought him a, a betta fish um, at the pet store. And they told us there, uh, and, that, and that that fish, um, you know, he didn't make it through the pandemic. Um, he, he actually, he was gone before the pandemic ever got here. So he, uh, I, get, I don't know what the life expectancy is of a betta fish, but he made it about two, three months. And, uh, but we were told at the pet store, we, they said, you know, don't, don't buy two of them and put them in there together unless you're going to put a divider between them. They don't, they'll, they'll begin to attack one another. They're, they're, not, they're not made in such a way that they get along real well. It's not going to go real well if you start putting multiple betta fish in that tank together. And, uh, and so we didn't, we didn't do that. But here's the thing, in a similar fashion, you, you can't take your sin and keep it and then take the word of God and, and, and say, I'm going to be someone who receives and welcomes the word of God in my life. And I'm going to be someone who continues to walk in my rebellion and my sinfulness. That does not mix. Those two things do not mix. Those two things are at war. So we have, if we're going to welcome the word, we've got to root out sin. And then the attitude he tells us that we're to have in this is this idea of meekness. Or you could say humility. Uh, it, it's teachableness. It's, it's looking to see what the Word has to say to us, not simply what can I get from the Word. Does that make sense? Like we can go to the Word of God and we can go, well, I really want encouragement today, so I'm going to go look for encouragement. Or I really want to know about this today. Another way to look at it is I want, I, I want whatever the Word has for me today, whatever God wants to have to make me more like Jesus today. And so I just lay my life bare before God and His Word. But many times we treat the Bible like a buffet and we go and we think, well, I'll take some of this and I'll leave this out. And I don't really like this. But in that situation, if you go to the Bible and you take what you want and you leave out what you don't want, the Bible's no longer the authority in your life. You're still the authority. So I'm saying you're, you're not submitting to the Bible. You're submitting to yourself. And, and, to, and to really, um, to really um, to receive the word of God with meekness means to come underneath it. It is the authority. I am submitting myself to it, and I'm coming up underneath the word of God, and I see it is the authority in my life. And he says the, the word of God, the word of God, he says here, he says, able to save your soul. And this speaks to the idea of sanctification, you know, and ultimately our glorification. You know, the Bible speaks of salvation in three tenses. You were saved at a point in time. That we call that justification. Uh, you're being saved through faith in Christ. Progressively, sanctification, becoming more like him. And one day, you'll be glorified. Glorification, you'll spend eternity with God and with Christ. And, and you'll be made to be like him um, for, forever. And the word of God promises the glorification of those who believe in Jesus. The word of God is what we, we put our faith in the gospel. It's revealed in the word of God. We, we put our faith in it and, that, and we, we trust, we believe the gospel and that's how we experience justification. And the way we progressively grow in Christ is by taking that word of God and applying it in, in the gospel and the good news and applying it to all the different areas of our life and appropriating it through our life. The, the word of God is through all of those. He says it's able to save your soul. You can't grow and you can't mature in Christ without it. So, so we, need to, we need to humbly receive and welcome the Word of God. Number two, we need to obediently respond to the Word of God. He says in verse 22, but be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So you haven't, you haven't really re received it if you're not willing to obey it. The Word of God is meant for more than reading and knowing, right? It's meant for doing and obeying what it says. And so the danger we face is deception, deceiving ourselves, he says. You can deceive yourself into thinking you're spiritual, godly, mature, because you've heard, because you've known some things, because you know a lot about the Bible. But, but spiritual maturity is not judged by how much you know. It's judged by how much you apply. <laughs> it's what we do. You can know all about the Bible, but if we're not putting it into practice, you're not, spiritual, you're not spiritually mature. That's, that's not what it looks like. Uh, when, when, when you hear without doing, you're leading yourself astray. You're deceiving. The word can even mean you're 
cheating yourself. It's you, in other words, that's suffering. It's you that suffers. So we have two options with the word. He says we can hear it only or we can hear it and do it. The hearer only can be deceived about their salvation, their walk with God, their spiritual maturity. But we're called to be those who hear and do. And so James talks about the one who hears only. He gives an illustration. He says it's like a man who looks intently at his, looks intently at his natural face in a mirror and then he forgets what he saw. And most mirrors in their day were polished bronze or brass. And if you had the money, you might have um, silver or gold. But to see in it, you had to have the lighting just right and the reflection just right. And you had to be very intentional about what you were doing. And he said, so if a person was to do all of that and see and get the reflection and then walk away and do nothing about what they've seen, he says, they've wasted it, right? They've wasted the mirror. They've wasted that opportunity. He says, that's what it's like for the person who hears the word, who looks into the mirror of the word of God and doesn't do anything, doesn't apply it to their life. Imagine if you were to wake up in the morning and go look in the mirror, and you've got some eye goop in your eyes. Uh, guys, maybe we've got some junk in the beard. That if, you've, if you've got hair, I, I don't really, but maybe it's all over the place, and um, um, ladies, and, uh, and then you, you just do nothing. And you just head off to work or you head out somewhere, wherever you're going. And people see you and you're like, they're like, are, you, are everything okay today? You're like, why, 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 would, why would that everything not be okay? Like, well, you know, you kind of look like a mess today. Is there, you sure everything's all right? And you're like, look like a mess. I looked in the mirror today. Well, did you do anything about what you saw, right? Did you, did you, did you, did you comb your hair? Did you get the stuff out of your eyes and the little crust out of the corner of your mouth, right? Did you do anything about what you saw? And it sounds like a silly illustration, but that's what he's pointing to here. He's saying it's foolishness to go to God's word and to see it and to do nothing about it and to refuse to obey it. You're you're completely wasting it. You're missing the point. You're wasting the opportunity. A a look in the mirror with no follow-up, with no action is a waste of a mirror. And to look in the word of God and not fix what is broken or not do what it says is wasting the word of God. But there's a better option. You can hear the word and do the word. And that's what it means to respond obediently, to obediently respond to God's word. He says that this person is the person that looks intently at that perfect law. He's looking with the intention to obey. He calls it the law of liberty because the word of God brings freedom. In James 8, verses 31 and 32, Jesus said, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you Free. There is freedom in the Word of God and freedom in obeying the Word of God. I, I love um, how um, Robert Ellsworth writes. He says, Satan works very hard to portray sin as the greatest freedom and God's Word as the greatest bondage. But just the reverse is true. And it's true. We, you might have believed that lie at one time in your own life. That man, if I, to sin is to be free. But God, he wants to, he wants to restrain me and, and, and enslave me and all this sort of stuff. But real freedom is found in obeying God and obeying his word. And enslavement is found. Bondage is found in sin. And so he calls it the, the perfect law, the law of liberty. As Douglas Moo points out, James's law does not refer to the law of Moses as such, but the law of Moses is interpreted and supplemented by Christ. He states it's the idea of God's word has been written on our hearts and the spirit of God has taken up residence in us to empower us to, to believe it and to live it, to live it out. It's the, it's the law of liberty that the spirit sets us free to walk in. And he says, this person, he says, they don't just look at it and walk away. He says, they persevere in it. Uh, They look into it. They abide to it. They stick with it. They don't walk away from the word when it gets hard. And sometimes it might be hard to obey. Sometimes it might be costly to obey, but they continue to not walk away from the word, but to walk in the word. They persevere in it. And he says, and that person will be blessed in his doing. 
not in his hearing. The blessing with the word of God, he says, is come. It comes with the doing, not simply the hearing. It's not in the good intentions. It's in the actual obedience. Let me ask you, have you ever been just blessed by just reading a good recipe? That's not, you know, no. We're blessed when that recipe comes together, right? Like, I like to sometimes to cook and to grill and things. For me, it's, like a, it's, it's almost like a way to rest. Like, I enjoy it as something to do, like, on the weekend for, for here and there. And, but I don't, like, read a recipe and think, man, this, uh, that, that was so refreshing. That was so good. That was so fulfilling. That was so satisfying. No, like, I, I want to make it, and then the, then I want to eat it, right? That's where, that's where the real blessing comes, so to speak. And so just in the same way as, you know, you don't read about the cake and how to make the cake, but it's the eating of the cake is where we feel like the blessing is. It's like, man, just read. It's not just knowing the Word of God, reading the Word of God, hearing the Word of God. You need to do the Word of God. His blessed are you if you do the Word of God. And this is a theme in Jesus' teaching, by the way. And James is echoing it. Let me read to you. Matthew 7, 24, Jesus says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Who does what? Who does them. Luke eleven twenty eight. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. John 13, 17. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Revelation 1, 3. Jesus, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of the prophecy and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. Or Revelation 22, 7. Behold, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. The point of James and the point of Jesus is the same. Don't just listen. Don't just hear. Obey. Act. To hear and not obey is wasteful. It's sinful. The blessing is in the doing. Those with saving faith are those who are doers of the word of God. Saving faith is a doing faith. Listen, we aren't saved by our doing. But those who are saved... Right? We long to not just know the word, but to do the word. We're not perfect at it. We fail at it, but we long to be doers of the word. So we need to obediently, obediently respond to the word. Number three, we need to accurately reflect the word. We need to accurately reflect the word. He says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from so here James is getting very specific, and he's showing us what it looks like to obey the word, to have it fleshed out in your life. When we obey the word, our lives will accurately reflect the word and its teachings, our whole lives. Every area of our life, it has implications for. James is saying real religion, real practice of faith, real spirituality will show up in all these areas. It shows up in real life. It's worthless to talk big and to do nothing. It, this is what walking in the Word actually looks like. As we, if we're really people who obey the Word, it should really manifest itself in real things in our life, real areas. And he mentions three specific areas. And it's not that it's only these three areas. He's giving examples. And the wider point is that God's Word, God's teaching should impact and be reflected in all areas of life and it begins to to shape and form us and mold us into what God intends for us to be let me ask you um if you've ever shopped at Ikea and bought something there you know when you get back you got to put it all together like we've bought stuff at places like that before and at Ikea before and you get back and you've got all the directions and and it'll show you a picture of what it's supposed to look like right at each phase and there's the picture of the completed thing but if you just kind of disregard all that and build whatever you don't know what you're going to end up with, right? It looks simple, like, like it's a table, right? But then it's got three legs, and you have no idea why, right? And, um, but, but you're supposed to follow the instructions, and it shows you what it's supposed to look like in the end, where 
where it's supposed to go. And James here, what he's doing is he's giving you a picture. He's showing you what someone who does the word is supposed to look like. When you're taking the word and applying it to your life, it should round your life out in different areas. It should make you a spiritually mature person. And, and the three areas he gives, he actually unpacks throughout the remainder of the book. And the remainder of the chapters. He's kind of introing them here. They were probably issues that these Christians were specifically dealing with. Uh, the first one he talks about controlling the tongue. Um, because the tongue reveals the heart. And you can deceive yourself if you think your tongue is not revealing your heart condition. So we're going to get into that in coming weeks. But so he talks about you need to be one who controls your tongue. He talks about caring for others. True religion, truly walking with God, will involve caring for the hurting and for the helpless and for the disadvantaged. Here he points out orphans and he points out widows in particular. But this applies obviously broader than that. These are just two examples. Um, may have been a specific issue that he was calling out. And the point is we are to be caring, loving people that cares for those that the world might sometimes look over and walk over. And throughout the centuries, Christians have led the way in mercy ministries, by the way. And we should continue to lead the way in mercy ministries. We should be the people who care about the poor and who love the poor and the hurting, who care about injustice and who condemn racism in all its forms. And we should be a caring and concerned and an active people. But not only that, he says we are to cast off worldliness. He says we're, 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 we're to keep oneself unstained from the world. And James is going to deal with worldliness again in chapter 4. But this speaks to purity and holiness and not letting the world's ways inform your values and your behaviors and, your, um, and how you live your life. James says it's not enough to just be morally upright. No, 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 no. You have to care about the hurting, the helpless. Oh, it's not enough just to be socially active. You are to be morally upright. It's not enough to just live a pure life and care for people. No, you need to control your tongue. See what I'm saying? He's saying it's the word of God should be pressed into and pouring out of every area of our life. And the point is, the word should shape everything. It should shape us. It should be reflected. Our, our, our trust in it, our belief in it, um, our obedience to it should be reflected in every area of life. You know, but here's the truth. None of us have perfectly heard and obeyed the word. Not a single person watching this today, including the person delivering this today, has perfectly heard and obeyed the word. That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus came. Only he has perfectly obeyed the word. Only he has lived perfectly and reflected the teaching of God's word and perfectly kept the law. He, he lived a life that you and I cannot ever live. He died the death that you and I deserve to die for our sin on the cross, bearing the punishment for our disobedience to God's word. That's what sin is, right? Rebelling against God's word. And, and he died for our sin and he rose from the dead in victory over sin, death, and hell so that he could save us. We could be forgiven of the fact that we have not perfectly heard and obeyed the word of God. And we could be transformed into doers of the word. So you may have heard the gospel. You may have heard the word of truth. But has it been, as James says, implanted in your heart? Has it been implanted in your heart? Have you believed it? Have you welcomed it and received it? Are you being transformed by it? See, being a doer of the word begins with being a believer in the gospel. It starts with believing the good news of who Jesus is as a sinless son of God who loved you and has died in his, at your place on the cross, um, died for your sins, who's risen from the dead, and putting your faith and trust in him. 
It starts there. If you haven't done that today, we encourage you to do that. Call out to him in faith. Ask him to save you. And if you've got questions about that, or if you, or if you call out to him today and you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, let us know. You can email us at info at gonorthpart.com. We would love to celebrate with you. We'd love to, to talk with you and to help you in any way we can in your spiritual journey. Now, believer, how are you interacting with God's word? Are you humbly receiving it? Are you obediently responding to it? Is your life accurately reflecting it? What areas of sin do you need to root out of your life that, that, are, that are choking out the word in your life? Let's not deceive ourselves. Let's be hearers and doers of the word. And, let, and let's handle the word of God the way God calls us to. Because believers must faithfully hear and do the word. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful today for the word of God. And we want to be a people that, who hear the word and who do the word. We're thankful for the word of truth, the gospel. We pray for anyone right now who has never put their faith in Christ, that today they would turn away from their sin and put their faith and trust in Jesus as Lord and as Savior. And Lord, I pray for every believer watching today and listening today that your Holy Spirit would enable us and empower us to be hearers and doers of the word, people who, who humbly receive the word, who obediently respond to the word, and Lord, who accurately reflect the teachings of the word in our lives. For your glory, Lord, and for the sake of the watching world around us, in Jesus' name, amen.